What we want to do is we want to get into verse number two now of Ephesians. We have graduated from verse one, and we're going now to verse two. So open up to Ephesians chapter one, verse two. Everybody go to Ephesians chapter one, verse two today. I believe that you're going to see an amazing passage today that will change your life. I will read verse 1 with you uh, as we continue to build this passage together. We want to remember what we've already learned. So one of the difficulties of doing a series like we're doing right now in the book of Ephesians for the next year is that we may forget what we've learned. And so when we come to church, we want to kind of read over what we've already learned, at least to the point where you can understand that passage. So since verse 2 is connected to verse 1, we're going to keep reading verse Verse 1 with verse 2. And then in a few weeks when I get to that uh, passage where he starts talking about being in heavenly realms, it's a good chunk there. It's about 10 verses. We'll be reading that and so forth. So I hope that you're reading your Bibles with me. I hope that you're growing in your faith because I don't want you just to come to church and let me do all the work, though I love my job. I want you to put in work. So look at your neighbor and say, put in work. Amen. Put in that Bible work. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, now verse 2, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody say, grace up in your face. You need some grace up in your face. You don't need bad breath from your neighbor today who didn't get a chance to brush their teeth because they were rushing to church. You don't need, you know, stinking uh, armpits and all of that, you know, that smell that comes from your body. You don't need all that, that stuff up in your face. What you need is grace up in your face. You don't need an attitude. How many don't want an attitude? You don't want people with an attitude. You want people to bring grace up in your face. Well, I just want to tell you I got grace for you today. You know, you just want to tell somebody that, you know, instead of being like, I'm going to tell you what I really think. You say, I'm going to tell you what Jesus thinks about you today. I'm going to give you grace, you person in traffic. I'm going to give my wife grace today. I'm going to give my husband grace today. I'm going to give my kids grace today. Paul is writing this letter to the people of Ephesus, and at the introduction, he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the two things that Paul uh, says in all of his letters, primarily that he wants us to have, grace and peace. This is kind of the manifestation of the love of God in a tangible way that separates Christianity from the religion of the world. Now let's go into grace as we look at the definition and Paul's usage of it. Grace is the Greek word charis, or if you want to say with the little Greek accent, charis. Everybody say charis. That is how you would say it in Greek, and it means God's unmerited favor and kindness displayed in saving and empowering the believer to live for Jesus and experience the fullness of his blessings in Christ Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Now, here's a simple version, as my wife said before, grace, G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. Now, you can go either way with that, something very simple or to the depth of it, but I'll tell you this. This is going to be, when we talk about grace, it is going to be more caught than it is taught. It's like love. I could define love for you all day long, but how many know there is no, nothing that feels as good as love, especially when you fall in love with somebody and it's like, va 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 voom, you know? You could describe it through the, you know, the processes of hormones. You could describe it through, like, great definitions, you know, self-sacrificing emotion towards someone you have affection for. But, oh, my goodness, when I saw my wife walk by, it was like, pretty woman walking down the street. Pretty woman, the kind of like to me, pretty woman. I couldn't leave her if I tried. I'm sorry, I couldn't even remember it, but I'd gone out with my wife, then I'd broken up with her sadly. And then we had a Halloween costume party at the church I was working at. And her and her besties came dressed up as Charlie's Angels. And that was it. That was good night for me. I remember her just walk. I'm so serious. I walk, I watched her walk by, and it was like, oh, Jesus. And Rachel, wherever Rachel Rach is, caught me. She caught me staring down my wife. Now, I had a pure heart. I didn't think anything nasty. But as she walked by, I was like, oh. 
Yes, Lord. And then you know what? The other thing that, since I'm talking about this, now I want to seem spiritual. I don't want to just be like all about whatever the body, okay? But, you know, I would always watch my wife worship, and that was always just attractive too. Amen? And sometimes you can tell the single guys and girls in church, you know, they'll be raising their hands looking around. Who else is worshiping Jesus? I want to see. Okay, that's, the, that's, that's a good way, though. I would say that's a good way because, you know, worship shows you somebody's heart. Now, here's Paul's usage of the word grace. God gave Paul the scriptures. Let's always remember that when we talk about Paul writing the Bible, etc. we don't mean Paul invented scripture. When you look at Mozart or uh, Shakespeare or any of those in the arts, we always talk about inspiration, what's inspired Van Gogh, what inspired, uh, you know, these different artists. When we're talking about Scripture, we're not talking about a man like Paul finding inspiration in himself or anything natural. It is God-breathed, inspired by the Holy Spirit, not the Holy Spirit taking him and making him write, you know, like it's kind of like one of those old printers where the thing would move as it was being printed out like he would take his hand, you know. No, it wasn't that. It was Paul writing with his desires and will and emotion, but the Holy Spirit inspiring him to write those things. And then check this out. A lot of church fathers were around at the time of Paul and the apostles. One, uh, some of them are mentioned actually in the Bible, like Clement, and they wrote letters too. And they understood early on, first generations of Christians, there is a difference between our writings and Paul's writings. And that's where they got the understanding that scriptures needed to be separated, like how they had framed the Old Testament, 39 books. They need to pull out these, these letters of Paul. And there was 13 letters of Paul, and he used the word carries. Uh, for for grace a hundred times. Isn't that awesome? A hundred times Paul says grace. Everybody say grace. Paul thought it was that important and just 12 times in the book of Ephesians. And now as we get ready to look at it in the book of Ephesians, I want to give you a little test, okay? So those of you who have the app or the blog, turn it off right now. Do not look at my notes. Don't you cheat. Where do cheaters go? Liars go in the fire. That's right. You don't want to cheat, okay? So here's the deal. We're talking about grace today, but I want to see how much you can discern the real teachings of grace versus the false teachings of religion. Okay, so I want to give you what would be known today as a grace test. Look at your neighbor and say it's a pop quiz. Come on. Here it is. You weren't ready for it. Now, don't look at your notes. Nobody cheat right now. I want to give you guys a pop quiz on whether or not you can say these are true biblical statements about grace or whether or not they are false statements. Let me start with this one. For we labor diligently to write to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled with God. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. If you think that is a true message of grace, raise your hand. If that's a true message Y'all listening to your neighbor right now because I thought I could get some of you. How many think it's a false message of grace? Now, how many could tell me why it's a false message of grace? What part gave it away? Go ahead. After all we can do. Very good, sir. Look at this right here. You know where that's from? That is from the Book of Mormon. I just read to you the Book of Mormon. That little sneaky false prophet took scriptures and manipulated them with lies. He said he received a revelation. He didn't. He received demon possession. This is a liar. Pants on fire, headed to the fire. Amen. God have mercy on the Mormon people. We love them, and I've been to one of their capital, uh, one of their main places here in Illinois, where actually the religion started in Nauvoo. Believe it or not, there's a historic place for them here in Illinois. And Jared and I went there and street preached, and you guys would think that's great. I can maybe have it on YouTube. You guys can watch it because we did make some videos out there. That's the Book of Mormon. But how many know if you weren't at this church this morning, a good church, or a church that at least gave you a head start that I was setting you up, how many know many Christians today would fall for that one? They would fall for it. They would go, yeah, that makes sense. I'm saved by grace after all I can do. I do my part. God does his part. Let's go to the next one. Here is another one. If anyone saith, 
that justifying faith is nothing else but confidence in the divine mercy which remits sins for Christ's sake, or that this confidence alone is that whereby we are justified, let him be anathema or eternally damned. Is that a true message of grace? It's a false message of grace. You know where that came from? The Council of Trent and Roman Catholicism, Canon 12. They were combating the Protestant preachers as we are preaching the gospel today, and they went so far to say, if you say, you say that you are saved by your faith alone, that simply trusting in Jesus makes you justified, let you be anathemized. And that Greek word anathema means eternally damned. See, they picked a fight, right, didn't they? They caused some trouble with some of that. Now, I don't always start fights, but I like to finish them. Amen? Now, I love all my Roman Catholic friends and families, but I'm not the one going to hell. I'm being honest with you. If you believe that works will save you, you're going to hell. That's the Bible truth. And so the truth is, is that it's by faith alone. Oh, I got the one Islam peeking out there a little bit. I already got it peeking in there. I got to hide it now. Peekaboo. Here I am. Don't forget about me. Okay, here he comes. Here comes Muhammad. Let's see what you guys would have said if you didn't know. To those who believe and do the deeds of righteousness, hath Allah, or hath God, promised forgiveness and a great reward. True or false version of grace? False. There it is. Oh, now you got the Hinduism one. Okay. So it is what it is. See, there you go. That's Quran, Surah 5, verse 9. Who does Allah promise forgiveness and a great reward to? Those who believe and do the deeds of righteousness. Believing alone is not satisfactory. What does Hinduism teach? And I was going to take out the word gods. God can help us, but it is we who put in the hard work and the effort. The reward is entirely up to us. That's a Hindu blogger summarizing for you the Hindu religion. False, true or false? Now, you know I love these little charts, and I made a fresh one with an old example up here, and Adam's going to tweet it out today because he's excited about these. He loves these. Let's give it up for the band today. Didn't they do awesome? Love you. Love you guys. Okay, so here's the difference between works-based salvation and grace-based salvation. Here's Mike 316. You guys want to hear Mike 316? You guys heard John 316, right? And Austin 316. Let me give you Mike 316. Mike 316 says this, little by little, God is saving me because when I do my part, he does his. When I do better, I become better. Do you guys believe Mike 316? Or do you believe Ephesians 2.8 going on into that letter? We're going to read all of the words, uh, all the 12 passages with grace in Ephesians. But let's highlight this one. For it is by what? Grace you have been saved in the past tense. Salvation has already come to me by that grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Big difference there, isn't it? It's a contrast. Now think about this. When God created us, he created us by grace to live through faith and to please him in all the good things we would do afterward. We are now in a fallen world, and the reason why things seem counterintuitive against the revelation of grace through faith is because we've forgotten the path of grace. We are in a world now that is cursed by sin and requires us to put in hard work and toil, whereas in the garden you worked, but you didn't do it by the sweat of your brow. Work didn't come after Adam and Eve sinned and the curse. Work came before. Can I get an amen to that? So working and having dominion over the earth and being prosperous is part of our uh, inheritance, the gift that God has given humanity. But when we fell, when sin came upon the earth, then the curse came upon our work so that work would have sweat and toil and then using the ground as an example for those that would be farmers, now there would be weeds and thorns. Everybody try tracking with me. Now watch this. Everybody tracking with me? Okay, I need you to talk back. Nod your head. I need some help today. I know some of you guys are sleepy. How many got enough sleep last night? 
I know. How many wish you could have more sleep right now? Okay. Okay, it's about half and half. Just y'all stick with me now, okay? Some of y'all are too tired to raise your hand. I'm so tired, Pastor. I don't know. I don't know. I can raise my hand. Okay, you guys can do this. You can do this. Amen. You guys are champions. Conquistadors. Now watch. When I talk about the salvation of grace through faith, not of yourselves, for a lot of us, it now seems to be opposite of everything in the real world. So spiritual truths have to do with grace through faith, but in the actual factual world, we've got to work and earn stuff. And so what that false mindset of thinking that God's grace only works in spiritual things, but my work does everything else in natural things, causes us to get confused in both. We're not good Christians and we're not good secular job, uh, you know, secular employees, mothers and fathers. So now I want to help you understand this. When you think about after the fall, getting in shape and losing weight, so you say, I want to gain more muscle, what do you do? Do you just sit back and go, by grace, through faith, I'll get more muscle? No, what people do is they go to the gym and they work, right, to get more muscle. So I want more muscle. I work at getting more muscle. I work out. The same thing is now with money. If I want money, do you just sit back and go, by grace through faith, I'll get money? And so you say, no, that's not how I get money. I work harder, I get more money. I want a better job, I get a better degree. I want better grades, I work harder. And so we get this idea that the works mentality is really the way the world works. The world works through works. Another way of thinking about it is if I want to work on my marriage, I don't just sit back and say by grace through faith, I spend time with my wife. I work on it. And it would be then no surprise that when people now want to apply it to the most important part of their life, salvation, what are they going to say? I want to be a Christian. I want to be godly. I religion more. I do more religion. I do more religion. I become a better person. The same way, if I want to be in better shape, I work out more. I want to be smarter. I study more. Do you see the, the issue that rises right now? Some of you are like, yeah, it kind of makes sense, Pastor. It does seem like a problem because of some, because so many of you live there. You think that grace is spiritual over here and that works is natural over here. And so, like, you can go to your job, and whether or not they believe in God's grace or God at all, you guys both can build a car on a factory line. You can become doctors and nurses together, cure cancer together. And that doesn't matter if you believe in grace or not. You're working. But then over here, to go to heaven, you have to almost, like, play make-believe and believe in this thing called grace, and you have faith. But here's the point. We have forgotten the path of grace. And we've been deceived after the fall to think that the works are the very fact of why we have the reward. But we forget that it was always by grace through faith. Let's back up to the Garden of Eden. By God's grace, he gave them ground so that when they planted seed, it would grow. Now the farmer goes, by my work, if I want more crops, I plant more crops. And God's going, by my grace, you have a ground. Hello. Through your faith in me, you'll find your purpose of planting and reaping. See? We say, oh, God, I'll go to the gym. I'll get in shape. Church, don't do that for me. Church, don't do that for me. I go here, and I lift weights, and I get really strong. And God looks at you and goes, I created you in my image with the body by my grace. Through your faith in me, you will be all that you were supposed to be, not just the little thing you play with here with your clay. And a lot of people like adding a lot of clay to the clay they already have, don't they? They call this plastic surgery, right? But God says, through that, I'll do more than what you could ever do for yourself. And so now we actually have to go back to the path of grace and combine these two worlds together and see them as one, and that it's actually always been one. And this scripture right here, it says that we're saved by grace through faith. What are we saved from? We're saved from the power, the penalty, and the presence of sin. We are saved from the lie, the deception that we make things happen on our own. So think of it like this. Husband and wife are saved from a divorce by grace through faith when they see the plan that God has for them. Parents 
are saved from frustrating moments. We'll be frustrated, but we're saved from the frustrating stress that comes from parenting by grace through faith. We're being saved from something to get to into uh, to be put into something else. If you're in a pit and I pick you up out of quicksand, I'm picking you up, saving you from the quicksand to what? To put you on solid ground. If you're drowning and I'm saving you from the water, I'm taking you out of the water and putting you in the boat. Those who are being saved by grace through faith are being saved in every way in this world brought back to the original intention of God. Let that sink in right now. Some of y'all don't want to hear that today because you keep wanting to think you do this yourself. And that's why the Bible says on Judgment Day we all stand naked before God. We'll realize on that day it was always by his grace. It was by his grace that you were created. It was by his grace that you had a mind. It was by his grace that you had free will and choice. And by grace through faith, you are saved from the sin of all of the things you're doing now. Because everything you're doing now, if it's not done for God's glory, can become a sin. My job can become an idol. My sexuality can become an idol. All of these things that I think are noble and good can become idols. And God is saying it's by grace through faith that you are saved from the destruction that's coming upon all these things. So what does it look like now for the one who is truly saved as they go to the gym today? And the old timers, by the way, used to say this all the time. If you talk to an old time Christian, they would say this. If you had them tell a testimony, they would say, by God's grace, I got this job today. Anybody here like that? Come on. By God's grace, I got up this morning. I used to think that was silly hearing that all the time. I was like, man, by God's grace, you got a lot going on. We'll be here all day. Come on, get through with the testimony, you know. By God's grace, I woke up. By God's grace, I have breath. By God, this is, but hold on. They were teaching us something, and my impatience was missing the lesson. They were teaching me that by God's grace, if we wanted to start naming stuff, it would be a while because it is all by his grace. And so what we need to do is go to the gym today by God's grace and go work out. We need to go back home with our wives and our husbands, you know, families today. Go back home and have a happy home by God's grace. We need to raise our children by God's grace. We need to do all of those things. Good works follow, yes, but good works never precede the blessing of God. Good works come from the blessing of God. And that's why salvation, instead of being this thing that, is the odd man out of how the world works is actually the thing that calibrates everything you do in the world. You're, you're, you're now understanding, oh, hold on, it's the grace message that actually calibrates the whole thing now. Because otherwise you'll be stuck with that dichotomy, these two competing things like, yeah, if I want to fix this, I work on it and I do it. But no, no, no. When, you are, when you're saved and you understand grace, you step back and go, before I can enter into any situation in life, before I can see any real change come, I'm going to acknowledge God's grace and do it by faith. I'm going to do it by faith in the power that God has. And so, now watch. Everybody get this. This is where, this is where the conclusion comes from. Now everybody else, you're saying, well, they still do stuff too. And they think you're playing make-believe, but guess what? They're the ones really playing make-believe because they really think they did that. Well, I did this, I did this. Okay, well, who made muscles to respond to the weight? Who made gravity to allow you to even do it? Why aren't you floating in space right now? Hello? Well, I created this. Who gave you the brain to create that and imagination to see that? You see, it is all by God's grace. So for human beings to think that they can do anything outside of God's grace is actually the biggest deception. That's the lie of Satan in the beginning. That's why Satan said, you can bypass the God element here, become like God yourself, and no good from evil, and just go about here creating, destroying, doing anything you want. And that's what Adam and Eve fell for, was a way to live without the con connection to God. And that's why we have in our, our strategy, connect, mentor, send, because we're bringing people back to that connection. But hold on, the moment they disconnected, did it work the way they thought it did? No, the disconnection didn't empower them. It actually destroyed them, brought death. And then what did they do? They ran away naked and afraid, and they hid from God, and God is reaching out to them, and that is now where humanity is. God's grace is reaching out to us, and we're still naked and afraid, those who are lost, and God is coming after us, and we're saying we have fig leaves, we have education, we have technology, look at how smart we are, and God is saying, I see right through all of that. You need me. Can I get an amen? amen. 
So do everything by grace through faith. Go to your job tomorrow by grace through faith. Take time to impart grace to your family. It should never be a point in your life where you say grace stops. Grace is no longer needed. I know uh, even us who grew, grew up in the church, there was a, a saying that would be uh, popular, and it's, it's kind of a cute one, but it's not true. And that's uh, you, you've used up all, like a mom would say this, you know, you've used up all my grace. You get judgment now. You know, and we're like playing that off of the Bible. Like, you, you've gone to the point of grace. Grace has now ended. I am now here with the four horsemen of the apocalypse. You are in trouble right now. Like, that's how mamas would speak. But that's not the Bible. Everything God does is through grace. Even the wrath that comes upon the, the world, it's because it demonstrates his grace upon those who didn't want to be wicked and follow the devil. So like we've said before, when Jesus comes back, everybody that's sinful is shouting, oh, no, oh, no. And all of us are going, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, bring it, Jesus. Because that's grace. He's saving us. He's delivering his people. So never get to the point where you think grace shouldn't be a part of what you do. Grace should be in everything that you do. Now let's look at the 12 times that Paul used grace in Ephesians. Are you guys ready? Come on, somebody say, bring it. Thank you. Ephesians 1, 2, we've just read it. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me give you this nugget because next week we'll be talking about peace. You will never have inner peace unless you first receive his grace. You see, because the fruit of God's grace is his peace. That's why you hear a lot of people talking about more money, more problems, because if you think money will make you happy, you don't have enough money yet. You will find out real quick more money does not make you happy. If you think more education will make you happy, you haven't met a lot of PhDs yet. Hello, I know a lot of them because I can do my doctoral studies with them. They are no more happier than the janitor today. Hello. Yes, money gives you the ability to do things and to have, a, a, you know, a lot of great things in life. I'm not knocking it. God says it be, should be used for his glory by his grace. See, that's the difference. Graceless money is more money, more problems. Grace-filled money, no sorrow or trouble added to it. That's what the Bible said, amen? So peace follows grace. Here is a awesome passage that we'll be getting to this prayer and this declaration that Paul makes in Ephesians 5, 1 through, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, 5 through 7. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. You see, a lot of those concepts that we're learning in those first verses will be coming up throughout the rest of the Bible, uh, throughout, throughout Ephesians. So we've learned about the will of God. We'll be hitting on that again. We've learned about being in Christ. We'll learn about that again. So keep tracking in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his what? Glorious grace. Everybody say glorious grace. So why is God saving us? To display his what? Glorious grace. Are you a testimony of God's glorious grace today? Do you display God's glorious grace? I mean, that just challenges me today. Which he has freely given us in the one he loves. How does he give us his grace? Do we earn it by our good deeds or does he freely give it to us in Jesus? Freely. And now wouldn't that just make sense that the real God, that the real book, that the real path of salvation would be so different than everybody else's? See, the devil can't lie on himself. He can't lie on himself. He will uh, deceive and do certain things, but he will not cause a contradiction to his nature. The Bible says that his house is not divided. Even the enemy is, is, is united. And so when you reduce down worldviews, they all come to central themes. And the central theme of all religions is you do this and God will do that. All of them. And that's how they build their religion. Imagine this. You're a Bedouin. You're living in some Middle Eastern country. You're, you're fighting a war. And now a false prophet comes to you and says, but if you die in this war, you go up there with 70 virgins. It's awesome. You think you're going to fight a little bit more now? Come on, somebody. Let's say now you're, you're being taken over. You're, you're being set free. Let me use that word, set free from the Aztec, the Incans. And all of a sudden now you find yourself under another world-dominating power, the Roman Catholic Church. And they learn your language. And then this is what they tell you. You used to worship this statue, but now worship this statue of the Mother of God. And we're going to put her up on a temple up here. And when you want to really receive forgiveness, you crawl on your knees up to her and you kiss her feet. See, pagans just switched their idols, didn't they? 
the Aztec, the Incans, the South Americans, they just switched from the idols of their false gods to the idols found in the Bible being taught incorrectly. Are you listening? Same thing with the European people. You used to worship Zeus, now pray to Peter. You used to worship this one, now pray to these ones, you know, just switching them out. And so the Bible says we don't get grace that way. We get it freely in the one he loves. Freely, free grace. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Do you see the contrast? I'm not bringing up other religions because we dislike people, but we have to see the origin of these things comes from satanic lies. God is not saying go confess your naughty secrets to a person in a dark closet and call it confession to be forgiven. You have been freely forgiven by Jesus. Freely forgiven. You don't have to do another thing to be forgiven. How many sense that has been freeing? If you are deceived today by the works-based mindset, this is too good to be true, and you think there's a hidden fee somewhere, right? How many have gotten those uh, things in the mail? You thought you won the $1,000, but there's a hidden thing. You've got to buy this and apply for this, and that, you know, or you get this thing with that thing. I remember walking down the mall, and they're like, hey, we got a free T-shirt for you, and it was like a cool one. I was like, okay, but you got to sign up and get approved for this credit card. Because in this world, free doesn't ever, ever mean free, right? There's always something hidden in there. There's always something hidden. And, and we think there's something about this that's like, this right here is scandalous. God's trying to pull a fast one on us. There's got to be something else in here. I've got to dig through other scriptures. I've got to be able to find something. Because there is no way it's this easy. And I want to tell you, it's not so good that it can't be true. It's so good it has to be true. Because if the God who created us made us to be parents and to multiply and love our children, then that means that God would love us as a parent, as a father. And I could never imagine saying to my children from the time of birth, you earn this, you earn this. I don't love you enough yet until you do it, do it my way. I never would imagine I would start off my relationship with my children that way. You do, and then I'll love. You do, and then I'll love. How do we start off our relationship with our children? You are and I love. You are my son or daughter and I love. Wouldn't that just be the way of our heavenly father? God so loved the world. Don't you take any one of those words for granted. God so loved the world that he gave. He's giving Jesus to us. He is setting us free from all that sin has brought to this world because he loves us and he's so rich in grace. He loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that what? Whoever does good deeds, that whoever goes to church so much, no, that whoever believes it, whoever just says, I don't believe the lie of the devil anymore. I don't believe that serpent's lie anymore. I believe my creator loves me. That's the belief. That's the faith shall not perish, but have eternal life. Why do we get to become good? Because Jesus was good for us. Why do our bad things go away? Because he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Go there quickly, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Can I get an amen? I may not have my normal preaching voice, but am I preaching good today? Come on, you may not have your normal amen voice, but are you happy to be in church today? You may be tired, but it's coming good today. I just sense the Lord. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's the exchange. There is the exchange. He became sin. Yes, sin is dealt with. I've talked to people from these other religions, and the big thing for them is, well, you know, if that's just the way it is, then we'll all just sin and do crazy stuff and just ask God to forgive us. That's not the right faith. Then you have a wrong kind of faith because I would never want to keep disobeying my parent knowing that they would just forgive me. So true faith would understand what my parent goes through every time I break the rules, every time I do 
do the things that I do. And then others would say, but then where's the justice? Like a Muslim says, where's the justice? It was your sin. Why is it brought onto somebody else? And literally, I've even heard them say in the argument, that sounds like a scapegoat, like you're putting it onto a goat and sending it out and saying, now you take my penalty. And I go, that's exactly what it is. In the Old Testament, they had a scapegoat sacrifice where they laid it on the sins of the people on the goat and said, go out there into the wilderness and die, you filthy little goat, because you are a symbol of Christ dying outside of the camp in shame, but for our, our benefit. That's the concept of sacrifice. Do you understand? That is the reason why after Noah, there's only eight people. Where did all the world religions start to share some of those commonalities? Where are some of those, those, those uh, hints of transcendence, those truths that are shared? And one of them is sacrifice because the idea was presented to them from Noah that because of our sin, something must die. So justice is served. It's served upon Jesus. And if it wouldn't have been served upon Jesus, it could never have been paid for. Your one good work can never do away with a bad work. A bad work, a sin, is done against an eternal God, has eternal consequences. You can't pay for one eternal sin, let alone for all of your eternal sins. Does everybody understand that concept? Sins, David said it just like this, Lord, I have sinned against you and you only. He understood that real sin was marked in the justice court of heaven because it was a violation of God's rules. It's because God said, and, and when you sin against God, it has an eternal weight upon it. So you can't make up one eternal sin because you're not an eternal being able to, uh, to justify yourself. We needed the God-man, the eternal being God in righteousness to destroy the, the negative of sin, as you would say, with the equal positive. So the negative, as high as it would be, a negative billion trillion to affinity had to be destroyed by the positive. Same thing. The eternal God was the only one that could take the punishment for our sins. So just think about that. Eternal being sin against God, we need an eternal sacrifice, but it has to be righteous. Because now we are indebted to our sin, no man can now do it, so God himself comes. And that shows the beauty of the cross. Listen to this scripture. Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. In God's foreknowledge, he knew that giving man free will, that we would sin and he would be the ultimate payment. So there was never a problem you found yourself in where he wasn't the solution. Amen? Praise God. We're just on number two. How many are ready for the rest of these? Here is that famous passage in Ephesians chapter 2. Made us alive with Christ, starting in verse 5, even when we were dead in transgressions. When were we made alive in Christ? When we were dead in transgressions. Did you get made alive in Christ when you started doing good works? No, while you were dead in transgressions, Christ made you alive. Totally opposite, isn't it? It is by grace you have been saved. Past tense, once again. The moment you ask Christ into your heart, confess him as Lord, you are saved. And I love the way my wife said that meme today. You can have a one day or a day one. And the moment you come to Christ, it's day one of salvation. Now you look back past tense. I am not being saved. I am not on a progress bar. I have, been, I have received the download of salvation. I am saved. Amen. Are you saved? Thank you. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And we'll get into some of these deep nuggies and how you are with Christ now as we get into these passages later. Look at verse 7. In order that in the coming ages that he might show the incomparable riches of his what? You know, I love Lord of the Rings. Anybody else love Lord of the Rings? Anybody else gets into some of that fantasy? I, I, I choose carefully the movies that I watch. Lord of the Rings, kind of a nerdy one, but I really like it. And if you understand J.R.R. Tolkien, who was also a Christian, and uh, his understanding of that world that he was creating, known as Middle Earth, the idea was that he was creating ages. And so when you look at Gandalf, this, this guy that's in this uh, scene, uh, I mean, in this uh, age here, with Frodo and all of them, he has all these powers and everything. But if you go back to J.R.R. Tolkien's mindset, this, this person had existed in other ages. He is not just first coming up into this age, and that's why he has the power that he has, etc. And so when we look at what we're expecting to have happen, track with me right here, there is another age to come. Think about this. There will be a kingdom age upon this earth. Those of us who have done the things of God will be like the Gandalfs of this world, and guess what that's going to do day after day is display the glory of God. Our great-great-grandchildren will grow up in a world of Gandalfs. Just think of it like that. Come on, think about it. The Bible says people will still be having children. If a child, if a person dies at 100 years old, they're considered a babe. 
God reigns upon his throne in Jerusalem. How many have ever seen a happy ending to a Disney movie or to one of those things where they have with the princess and the, the king and there, you know, the queen, whatever, and the, the castle? And I was telling you guys about this before. When I went to Disney World, you see the castle. You will live in a world where there is a castle, where Jesus is ruling. You will live in a world where the sons and daughters of God will rule like Gandalfs upon the land. We will be the manifestation of God's rulership. The 12 disciples will be the judicial court of the land. And then we will be the governors, the kings and the priests set up upon this earth. One day Ishmael may be the governor of Beijing. One day I may be the governor of, of Chicago. There will be, you, you will not be some ethereal spirit disembodied like Casper. You will have a resurrected body ruling and reigning with Christ. And the entire time you're ruling and reigning with Christ, it says for a thousand years, and then he destroys the earth, and then he recreates it only with the sons and daughters. But the reason as we study that the millennial reign is here is that God's grace can be showed off. That he can show off the entire time. This is what a daughter of Eve really looks like. This is what a son of Adam looks like. This is what I created them for. And he shows it by his grace over and over and over again. So that those who are being born into the world, they'll still be being born as sinners, but those who are being born will know what the end of the process already looks like, and then they can still make their choice. The Bible says Satan will be bound up, and then he'll have one more chance to come and deceive the world. But it's literally to show humanity Humanity, the angels, all of the powers of, of, of hell as well, the devil while he's bound up there, that God's grace wins. Now you can interpret this however you want, but I'm going to read it again. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Insert your theology there. That's what I believe in the millennial reign. Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus, for it is by what? Grace, thank you, have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Even in the Greek language, charis, uh, meaning grace, is the root word for charisma, gift. Charisma is a, is a derivative of the word charis. So the idea gifts come from grace is already in the language that God used to display his truth. Isn't that wonderful? So let me put it to you in a way that you could understand. For it is by grace you have been saved, and it is the graced, it is the graced impartation of God, if you wanted to use uh, grace there in a unique way to help you understand, because it literally has the root word of grace in it as gift. Ephesians 3, 2, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. Paul talks about the reason why I'm an apostle is by God's grace. Everything you do is by God's grace. Everything you do. How many of you believe that today? Everything you do, I do is by God's grace. Let's keep going with that same thought. Ephesians 3, 7 through 8. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's, by being graced, in other words. By being graced, I was given this ability through the working of his power. Okay, now let's, let's stop right here. Is there anybody today that has a gift, a true positive gift? I'm not talking about... Um, I'm not talking about Lady Gaga or, let's say, Miley Cyrus twerking, and that's her gift. I'm talking about every good, let's clarify gift, every good and perfect gift. Is there anybody in this church or in this world that has a good and perfect gift that didn't come by God's grace? No. So everything that is good in you, you love to cook and be a baker, that's by God's grace. You love to help people, that's by God's grace. Amy loves to teach, that's by God's grace. You love to lovingly lead people on the job, that's by God's grace. Kayla loves to sing, that's by God's grace. Adam loves to look cool, that's by God's grace. He is stylish by God's grace. I'm sorry, I'm just picking on him today, a little awkward. I have known Adam since he was like 14, 15 years old. I love this young man. Now he's an older man, he's having a baby. Let's give it up for him having a baby soon, amen. But by God's grace, he's a leader. He plays guitar, and he's cool. Although I am least, a less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. And so, yes, it can become a little bit hard sometimes to find yourself in here as a plumber or as a stay-at-home mom because a lot of times the Bible is talking about people being graced, you know, having the grace gift given to them for ministry. And so you may just think it's always ministry, but that's not their intention. He's just saying as an example, if I have a gift given to me by grace to do stuff in the church, it's the same reason why you have a gift to be a mom, the same reason why you have a gift to, to be an inventor. Steve Jobs was graced by God. 
Do you get that? He was graced by God. That was the grace of God. Every medical doctor is graced by God. They're going to be held accountable for whether or not they believed. They believe that God is the one who gave that to them. Because they will not stand on judgment day in front of Lucy the ape, okay? They will not be able to bow down and say, Lucy, thank you for being my ancestor, caveman. No, they're going to stand before God and he's going to say, now what? You know, and so if he says, depart from me, get out of here, that's going to be their, their fault because they made an idol out of their gifts instead of letting their gifts draw them to God. How many of you, without being prideful, being like, I know I'm so graced, but how many of you would know you look at your life and, it, and you just can humbly say, I am gifted by God's grace? Like you just look at your life and you just go, I know that this is God's grace. I'm just smart enough to know that this doesn't come from my DNA, from my little good wits about me. This comes by God's grace. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, 7 and 8, uh, or excuse me, Ephesians 4, 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now you see, it makes it practical, doesn't it? Each one of us has had grace given to us. How many know that even the handicapped and those with special needs have grace given to them? Have you ever been around them and felt the grace of love, the grace of kindness, the grace of acceptance? How many know children even have a grace given to them? How many know even children inside the womb have a grace given to them? Just talk to any pregnant mother. She already knows, even though she can't feel the child inside of her, that there's a grace gift given to her in her womb. That's what blows my mind when you look at the world who promotes abortion, and yet those same people get happy when they are, are find out they're pregnant. You know, so let's say you got an abortion doctor, he's mutilating and murdering babies every day, and now you know he's in his mid twenties and he wants to have a baby, and they're trying. Maybe there's some conception issues, and they finally get pregnant. I mean, he's excited, right? But isn't that just the folly of the of the fool right there? Is that here you're murdering this life that God has graced all of these people with, and now when you want it, you treat it differently. But that is not our decision. That is God's decision on how life is given and how life is taken away. Can I get an amen? Let's go to the next one, Ephesians 4, 29, as uh, Rachel comes, please. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give what? Grace to those who hear. Now, this is challenging, I know, for all of us. Let's just go through this. Everybody look up at me, please. Let's make sure the conviction sets on us real here, okay? How many of you can say, my words give people grace? That's something we got to work on, isn't it? Many of us have to work on, like I have to work on giving grace to my wife with my words. Even if we disagree, am I doing it from a place of grace? Do I ever have permission to battle with her as if she's my enemy? I remember being taught that by my parents when you think about marriage, no matter what fight you get into, no matter what trouble you have, when you both sit down to figure it out, there's one thing you can, you can know, and that's for sure, your enemy is not sitting across from you. Your enemy is not there. Your enemy is Satan and his lies, his mindsets and his attitudes. And sometimes people adopt it and they let the attitude of Satan come through or the mindset of the, Bible, uh, the devil, the Bible says, it's actually devilish. You've heard some devilish talk before, haven't you? We've heard godly talk, but we know devilish. But here's the, here's the thing that really struck me as I was reading this, is that we are to literally impart that grace that's been given to us by others through our words. And so often, I know for me, I'm a guy of words, I can cut people down and not give grace. And I want to be the one that gives grace. I have had two, like, examples throughout my whole life, especially now being a Christian with my words. There's examples of me uh, going to the post office with one of the young men that I had uh, seen saved in New Orleans, and we were in the post office, and the woman wasn't acting right, and I let her know she wasn't acting right. And this young man was so grieved, he's like, I can't believe you talked to her that way. So I've heard that my whole life, like, you really went off. But then I've also been with people, and I remember my one friend Juan, we were at a restaurant together, and there was a waitress, and I began to speak to her and hear about her heart, and I began to encourage her, and tears came down her eyes, and she was so blessed. And then I remember him saying to me, like, man, God so used you. I have seen people in my life literally shocked by both. Like, I am so shocked you just went off on that person the way you did. And another person, like, I am so shocked. We are in, like, Chili's right now, and this waitress is getting rocked by God. It's just as if she was standing in front here. So how many know i got to watch the words I speak? 
I don't want these words. I don't want the words that bring death. Look at what it says right here. No corrupting talk, corruption. Think about those of you who have, you know, the foundations of your house and how it gets corrupted, the basement, if there's water damage and how it starts to leak through. That's what we do to people's lives when we don't speak grace to them. We're a part of damaging their inner person. And I'm telling you, I saw my wife deal with it with her parents, and I dealt with it with my parents. Sometimes we talk to the people that we're closest to, the ones that we're with every day, the worst. I remember listening to my wife, I'm going to tell on her right now, talking to her mom, and I'm like, I hope she never talks to me that way. But the idea was she had been with her mom her whole life, and she let her guard down. You know what I'm talking about. You just let people have it. And then as time goes on in the marriage, I'm talking to her the same way I used to talk to my mom, getting angry. And so we came to the decision that we would not talk. Because Let's just pull this back as an example. Let's say you're going to the airport. It's really stressful. You know, you got all these kids, and you're in my shoes, right? And, and, and I get mad with my wife, and I'm yelling at her. But then all of a sudden, I step up to the counter. I'm like, hello, how are you doing? My name's Joe. My Rostick checking in. See, see what just happened? I'm giving the person that I love the most the least amount of grace and the person that I don't see at all the most amount of grace. And I began to say to my wife, if we say please and thank you at a, at a wait, at, at, to a waitress at a restaurant, let's say please and thank you to each other. If we bump into each other in the kitchen, we say excuse me. Let's use our best manners, not out of legalism, but out of ultimate respect for each other. And so you may come to our house, and you may see my wife set down my glass of water and stretch it in front of me, and she may say, pardon my reach. And I'll say, no, you're good, baby. I love you. And you might think we're playing around. But what I'm doing is I am guarding ourselves from little things building up to nagging and to tearing down. I'm saying we're going to respect and honor each other. Same thing with our kids. Can I get an amen? Grace. Now watch this. He starts it off with grace, and how does he end it? Last verse of Ephesians. And by the way, we're going to go through all of these individually. All of these verses, we'll get their time. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. See, there it is. Who are the ones that are really in that relationship with grace? Those who are walking forward with Jesus loving him. The rest of us have, uh, the world has a portion of it, but we get more and more and more, the Bible says. How many are ready for the message now? I got Paul's example of going through problems with grace. I was going to read this whole passage. Do I have time to read 10 verses here and this little special part there? And then I got the five practical applications of grace. You all ready for that? That was really the message right there, these five practical applications. You all ain't ready for this. Maybe a two-parter. But let me just read them off quickly for those who want to hear them. Hopefully everybody does. Here's the applications of grace. I'll go through them quickly. Humility. God gives grace to the humble but resists the proud, so be humble. The Bible says he gives more and more grace to the humble. Holiness. God gives us the power to not sin and not the permission to keep on sinning. So live holy by God's grace. Paul says, should we go on sinning that God's grace may abound, may never be so. Identity. Grace to do good works. Yes, there's good works to come. But it comes first by believing you are God's work of grace. So believe you are who God says you are and you can do what he said you can do. You're blessed by God's grace. God gives us all of his blessings by grace through faith. Therefore, keep your faith. Don't lose your faith with your feelings when they change. Keep your faith. Sometimes faith and feelings don't go together, right? Like today, I'm not feeling it as much as I normally do. I got a little bit of a cough. I've been sanitizing my hands. Anybody ever have that sickly feeling where, like, you get these little shots of nerves going through your body? It's almost like a little quiver that goes through your body. Some of you are like, do you have the flu? I don't know, but I get these little... Like quivers going through my, like I am tired. Like my mind is a little bit fuzzy right now. But I came to church by God's grace. Amen? I am preaching by God's grace today. Even if I don't feel it, I'm still raising my hands and worshiping God. This is my sacrifice of praise to God. Amen? I haven't missed a Sunday yet because of being sick, and I'm, I'm not going to by God's grace. Right? By God's grace. How about this? God gives us the grace to give grace to others. We can be gracious. Grace flows through our forgiveness. When people sin against us, don't be bitter. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be bitter, get better. Amen. Would you stand up to your feet? Give it up for Jesus today. You all did awesome. Come on. Come on. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Woo. Hallelujah. Come on. 
It's all about that grace, about that grace. No devil, it's all about that grace, about that grace. No devil, come on. Look at this in closing. God's grace has been given to the whole world, whether they know it or not. Come on, God's grace has been given to the whole world. Everything that is good has been, and the things that have been spared from us, and all that is evil. Excuse me, God's grace has given the world everything that is good and has spared us from all that is evil. Every person that has good, it's from God's grace. Everyone that doesn't get in a car accident gets to keep breathing, live another day by God's grace. Yet God's grace, now watch this in closing. This will blow your mind if you haven't heard it before. It's not just a characteristic of God. Grace is not just something he does. Grace is who he is. Because Titus says, for the grace of God appeared, talking about Jesus, that offers salvation to all people. Can you just raise up your hands and thank Jesus for his grace today? Oh, thank you, Lord, for your grace. Altar workers and band, would you come? We thank you for the grace of God. How many things can you think of today that are by the grace of God? Right now, would you just thank the Lord? Lord, I thank you that by your grace, I'm married, have a family. By your grace, Jesus, I am here today. My body is even healing right now, God. Oh, Lord, it's recovering. Father, I thank you by your grace. We have jobs to go to tomorrow. I thank you by your grace. There's food to eat. You ever heard say your grace? Say grace over the meal? What are you doing? You're saying, Lord, thank you for this food. You're acknowledging it's the gift of God. That's why we pray before every meal. We believe that it's the gift of God, and then we ask him to use it for his glory in our bodies. Few more moments, few more moments. How have you been graced? Which ways have you been graced today? Lord, we're so thankful. Do you know that even psychologists say that the thankful mind is a healthy mind, but the complaining mind is an unhealthy mind? So those of you who are going through a hardship, I would encourage you to do what those old timers would do. Wake up in the morning and start thanking God for all the things you do have. Even if you're about ready to lose your job, even if the bank account don't look right, you're going to start thanking God for what you do have. God, I thank you that I actually do have a bank account. I thank you that I live in a country where there's freedom. I thank you, God, that I got a Bible to read today to encourage me. I thank you. know, you start where you're at. A few more moments. We're thankful for God's grace. I didn't have time to read it all, but Paul went through troubles. We know this. He even asked God to deliver him from one of his troubles, and God said, no, I'm not doing it. You're going to go through the trouble. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. God's power is made uh, real in our lives through grace. You could think of another definition of grace as God's power in your hour of need. Come on, how many need the grace to go through a situation where you feel weakened right now? Ask God to give you his power by his grace to go through this. Watching Nancy go into surgery, by God's grace, she had to go through and I had to watch her. By God's grace, I've had to bury loved ones. Come on, somebody, a few more minutes. It's not a library, it's a prayer meeting. Talk to the Lord. By God's grace. By God's grace. By God's grace. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Would you take it now a few moments to use your imagination and think about all that you're thankful for. Now, instead of using your words, use your imagination. See your children growing old with you. See your job prospering. See these ideas he's placed in your heart coming to pass. We're not playing make-believe. We're just stretching our imagination to the things of God. By God's grace, I'll accomplish new things in my life. By God's grace, I'll have courage. How many got dreams today they want to accomplish through the grace of God? Jesus, just a few more minutes. I need the grace of God to dream big, to walk with thankfulness in my life, to appreciate people, to forgive. Jesus, Jesus, we thank you, Lord. Before we go, we just want to thank you, God, for your grace today. We're going to dismiss singing a worship song, but uh, as we get ready to, if you need prayer for anything, for the impartation of grace, to receive it through the prayers of your brothers and sisters, we're up here to pray for you. That's why the Bible says pray for each other when you're sick, pray for each other when you're going through hardships. 
So as we get ready to dismiss, you're welcome to come. If not, worship with us. Some of you, I think, should spend a little more time today than normal in worship because worship helps you set your heart on the things of God, doesn't it? I know it does for me. That's why I always hang back. So, Lord, be with us as we go. May we always walk in your grace, and may we grace others. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Let's give it up for God's grace today. Come on, grace up in your face. Slap your neighbor high five. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you at Life Groups. Come up for prayer or worship. Otherwise, you're dismissed. Have a great week. Let's see. I was healed. Promise, Holy Spirit, when I believed, I was sealed in you. That's when it happened, when we believed. When I believed, I was healed by the promise, Holy Spirit, when I believed, I was Come on, when let's I sing. Believe I believe in your love. I in you. I believe. I believe. We believe today. Your love, your love that gives grace. I believe in you. Let us never forget. I believe in your love. I believe.
snow.